So I couldn't create, uh, I couldn't think of any like really nice title for today in uh, like I might have done with uh, the last two attributes of God that, I, that, we, that we studied. So it's just called God's immutability or the, the, the immutability of God. And so uh, as more people will filter in here in a minute. Who knows the last two attributes we talked about while I was up here? Simplicity was the first one. Independence. And independence. And what's the other name for independence? Aseity. I only remember, I'm only pointing out Roseanne because she's like, because that was a, a, a word that she liked. Yeah. What's, what's that? Yeah. Uh, and so one of the reasons... Uh, well, I don't know. I kind of debated whether I should give away my secrets or not. But uh, one of the reasons we kind of need to restudy, or we should constantly be studying, uh, or we be kind of doing theology proper, which is the study of God and His character and His attributes and His His essence, His being, uh, is because um, we often move downstream from that, and we're always every time we teach, we're teaching downstream from that. Right, we're t- sometimes we're teaching about the leaves of um, how we should raise our kids, or how what kind of relationships we're supposed to have, or what the relationship is supposed to look like, uh, how we're supposed to be a good worker. Or we have all these teachings, these practical teachings that we have, uh, but those are all downstream from theology proper. And so, uh, it's good to just be confronted with those and to teach those directly, didactically, and look at them scripturally. Uh, also, I am taking a class at Reformed Bible College where I am required to write an 18-page paper on God's attributes uh, for my final essay, and this kills, helps me kill uh, <laughs> two birds with one stem. So, uh, you guys are my test subjects anyways. Uh, so, but anyways, um, it's good to just, if we haven't... Um, ever taking a uh, systematic theology class or, or read kind of just on God's attributes, it's good to always be reminded of those because especially when you look at God's immutability, um, we're going to see how that is held together by God's simplicity and his independence. And you can't have it any other way. Uh, and that's what the scriptures are going to uh, find out. But also, when we... Um, no one's going to ever say that God is mutable. There's nobody in Protestant churches that says that. <laughs> they, or, or that God changes. <clears throat> There's nobody really out there that's not a, a blatant heretic and crazy wild person who is saying that God is changing. I'm sure about that. Are you sure about that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll see if you're a heretic or not. Uh, new, new things spring forth, but is that God in his being? So when we talk about God's immutability, uh, we're talking about his essence. His essence does not change. His being, he cannot and will not change. And that applies to a lot of other things about God. And so change constitutes a changer, right? And so... Um, 
If you are changed or if something changed, there is an outside force or object or person that does the changing uh, in the entire created universe. Uh, and this is the, the presence of God's immutability, um, or this is the premise of it. And so try to name one thing in creation that changes, that isn't acted upon by an outside force. I'll give you a second. I'll give you two seconds. Your mind. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that change my mind. Uh, sometimes I change my mind uh, 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 minute by minute, uh, depending on how hungry I am. Depends on, you know, I was going to go outside and, uh, and warm the car up, but it was too cold, so <laughs> I decided not to. Uh, and I'll just bear with it. Uh, I told my wife last night, Noelle's sick. Uh, pray for her. Uh, but... I told her last night, I was like, well, you can just toughen up, and you can go to church. And then this morning, I was like, you should probably just stay home. And, and so uh, my mind was changed by evidence and, <laughs> and what's compassion. What's the difference between us doing that and God doing that? Well, we'll get to that, because we'll look at uh, the first thing that usually comes into people's minds that have read at least six chapters of the Bible, that is up until Genesis 6, that... Uh, where it says that God repented. Um, but we'll get into that. Don't you fret. We will handle that. Um, but, but change, being able to change and changing requires a changer, an outside force. Um, but some would say, well, God can change himself. And don't worry, we're going to get to Bible verses, but stick with me as we get into this. But God can change himself. Uh, but let's think about that for a minute. And so if God can change himself, what is he changing? I'll give you guys a second. Creation. Well, that's not himself, that's creation. You can't, if he's changing creation, he's not changing himself. So he's still not changing. Daniel, what did you say? Himself. himself. What is he changing into? What is he changing himself from? If he's God, if he's his new self. And so there are, there are some types of theologies out there that would purport something like that. Uh, it's mostly in liberal circles. There's, you guys can do your own research on this. Um, something called process theology where God is becoming, they, wouldn't, they would throw, a, throw out God's perfection and sometimes God's infinitude, and his, uh, but then you have to throw out all of his divine attributes after that because if he wasn't perfect at one point and he's changing in and the changing is being perfected, then he isn't perfect. And how can a non-perfect being create and change into a perfect being without perfection? And so there was a lot of, that's process theology. We don't really deal with that too much. Uh, it's not that popular, but there is uh, in the cultural this idea of progressivism and change and we're going to move forward at some point, and we're going to just change is good. But in theology, unless you're in a really liberal circle, you don't really run into, into that. No one says that God is changing per se, or at least they'll hold to the immutable attribute of God, yet teach something different in practicality. And so it's kind of a, a silly thing to think that God is changing, because what is he changing into? How is he changing himself? If something else is changing him, does that require that that thing is over, over God, and is that thing now more powerful than God? And so when you throw out God's immutability in its entire essence uh, of what it is scripturally, 
then you have to throw out God's simplicity, you have to throw out God's independence, because if God is, is not independent and things change him, then he is no longer independent and he is moved by outside forces. And so then if he's uh, in his simplicity, which is, what is simplicity? This is my hand gestures of, he's everything, he's not in parts, he is all that he is at all times. There's no difference between God's essence and his, his attributes, he is his essence. And so if he's changing, then he is not his essence, and therefore he's not a simplistic uh, being. And so all of those things start to fall apart when you start downgrading God's immutability and, <clears throat> and whether he's changed. And so that's important, but we'll get later on into why that's practical and how, how we look at that and how sometimes we just very gently start slipping into uh, saying in name that God is immutable, but in practice and in faith, uh, practicing that God is mutable. But uh, woe is me, because we didn't even pray. But so as we get into these scriptures, uh, let's reach out to our unchanging God. Uh, Lord, you are the father of perfection. Uh, the scriptures say you don't even change your mind, uh, that your will is decreed from eternity past, that you are the rock, you are the solid foundation of our salvation. Send us your word, Lord. Send us your Holy Spirit, that we'd be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. And forgive us for not praying in the first place. All right, so let's look at some scriptures real quick. Uh, one of the reasons why, in the, uh, as I'm up here talking about the attributes of God, I don't want to just throw out proof text after we can stand up here for 45 minutes and just read Bible verses, and that would be beneficial for all of us, um, but that's all we would do. And so you can throw out proof text after proof text after proof text of um, verses on God's immutability. They're all over the place. Uh, it's a major characteristic of God, but I just want to look at a, a few for, for brevity's sake. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Do we need to go any further? Amen. Let's go get coffee. Yeah. Numbers 23.19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. And then one of the main ones we're going to look at, <clears throat> James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so James 1 says, not just that God doesn't change, but there is no appearance of changing. And so that becomes really important in our practice, because sometimes we view God as changing, and we know that his, maybe his essence doesn't change, but he really does change his mind, or he really does change in different dispensations, or he really does change something. But James 1 says that even in his appearance and how he shows himself, never changes. And he gives us the analogy of lights. And so, um, one thing I love about when I read scripture is, uh, I don't know how many other people do this, but just to take the analogies that are listed, uh, you know, that are just like sometimes like one or two sentences, um, like here in James, and you think about like, okay, so there's no shifting of shadows and no variation due to change. 
And so, you know, what lights do you think he's talking about? The sun. Thank you, Josiah. I was about to hear the crickets. Uh, the sun. Probably, you know, he doesn't say exactly what he's talking about, but you can uh, pretty well guess that he's talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, the celestial lights. Uh, maybe even candlelight or something, but probably not. But most likely the celestial lights, right? There's a variation of how the sun moves on the earth and casts a shadow, right? There's a variation. There's a variation of, of the glory and degree that the sun shines, right? And you can look directly at the sun at sunrise, and it doesn't, doesn't hurt. <laughs> but if you look straight up in the middle of the day, uh, it's much brighter, and you'll go blind pretty quick. And there's a different degree of change for the sun at, uh, at sunset, and, into, and there's, no, there's no sun at night. Uh, and the moon changes. The moon has an appearance of changing, right? There's moon cycles. We, have, we see that. And the stars, right? There's, they're not seen during the day. Where do they go? They're not there. <laughs> uh, Right? And it's not because the people in the first century weren't as enlightened and they didn't know that much about creation. So they actually probably knew much more than a lot of our post-enlightened thinkers do now. Um, but they don't go anywhere, but you can't see them. Their appearance is, is gone. Right? They're not, they didn't change at all, but their appearance did. And so James uses that. Uh, as an analogy of how God does not change. And so the immutability of God is something that I don't know if we can actually comprehend. It's worth talking about. We have to study it. Uh, but I don't know. We can't name one thing that doesn't change other, other than God. Good job, Daniel. God. Uh, name one other thing that doesn't change. Time changes. I'm looking at it right now. One, two. <laughs> uh, hey, we got, we got 15 minutes in and we got our first Super Bowl joke. That was pretty good. Uh, all right, we live in a world that is constantly changing. We actually don't know anything but change. And so, um, uh, unless it's God himself, uh, you know, and so we live in this world that we know nothing but change, and we have no idea how to relate to God's not changing, except for that he is not like anything else, right? That's why we started with simplicity and uh, independence, and there's a slew of other ones uh, that I'd like to get to uh, that are what we'd call non-communicable, meaning that like, they are negative aspects of God. Uh, when we looked at, at Numbers, it says God is not like man. He does not change his mind. And so uh, we know that man changes his mind quite often. Almost every second or every minute, uh, we change our mind in some, in some way. And so the only way we can describe God is he's not like that. And I know all these things that change, and I know all these things that are unsteady, and there's nothing... That isn't changing, and all I know is God is not like that. And so James uses that um, analogy also. 
or uses the negative aspect that. We see all these lights changing, and we see all these things, uh, but God is not like that. And so he's the opposite of change. And so God has no actual change and no appearance of changing. And so God alone is immutable. Uh, and um, let's skip on here. Uh, and so we couldn't even think of a God who could change with all his divine attributes or who does change and, uh, because all the other characteristics would fall apart. And so if God did change, uh, he would no longer be perfect, right? There's, uh, there are subtle theologies out there that say that God grows in his love, right? Or God grows in certain other attributes. And so then, if that's true, then he wasn't perfect in it in the beginning, and he can't be counted on on that attribute, right? If we couldn't count on God's love, or we couldn't count on God's justice, then we couldn't count on, on God. If, if, if it wasn't perfect, I mean. If it wasn't perfect, we couldn't count on it because it has to be changing. And so if he can grow into being more loving or more gracious, uh, then he wouldn't be infinite in those. And then if that's true, and if he's not infinite in his love, and then it's capped at some point, and then we can slowly progress towards that. But uh, we don't really understand infinitude anyways. Uh, the only thing I know is that don't argue with your wife about if infinity plus one is real or not, if you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, so we couldn't even like imagine God's infinitude, but we know that the, the space between God's love and our love is infinite, right? And if it was changing, if God's love was changing, then it wouldn't be infinite. And so, but what does it mean, uh, the first question is, what does it mean like in Genesis 6 where God repented? Well, uh, let's talk about types of change, right? God already said um, uh, in Numbers 23 that he doesn't change his mind. Uh, there's other, I can't, I'd have to look up the reference where it says, I am not like man that I do not repent uh, in another verse. But then it says that God repented and, and did things, right? So what are the types of change? So we assert that God is immutable in his essence and his existence. His existence cannot change. And who he is and his divine characteristics and attributes cannot, will not, and never could or will or shall or ever be changed. Uh, nor does God change by, by accidents or, or outside forces. And so... What I'm trying to get to is uh, I was debating whether I should do the impassibility of God, uh, which is that God doesn't have passions. He doesn't respond emotionally to, to creatures, but you can't really get there without his immutability, so I decided to do immutability. And so uh, God doesn't change in relation to his, his creation. His creation doesn't cause him to change. Okay? And we'll define that uh, a little bit here in a minute. Nor does God change in his knowledge. Uh, however much the object of his knowledge uh, uh, changes, he does, not, uh, he does not, for he knows all things in himself. Um, so God's knowledge never changes, right? If it does, then he couldn't be omniscient, and we couldn't assert that he's omniscient. And then if his knowledge changes of his creation, 
then he couldn't be immutable because he is changing in accordance with his creation. Does that make sense? Does everybody follow? And so does, everybody, does anybody start to see the, the subtleness of where there's, there's different theologies purported out there and in practice that God does change in accordance to his knowledge, in accordance to his creation? Does anybody, anybody awake and see that? Yeah, yeah. And so that, that starts to get subtly in there, right? Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundance in power. His understanding is beyond measure. It's beyond measure. How long is it? Can't measure it. Infinity plus one or two. If you can have infinity plus one, can you have infinity plus infinity? No, I don't know. Uh, right, so... So when you start looking at these, these divine attributes, is they, and that's why we started with simplicity, is because they all have to hold together. And so when you start trailing away from certain one of them, and that doesn't happen like, oh, I read something, and that sounds good, and I'm going to decide that, that God is changing, and he's an ever-changing being. We don't do that. It's this subtle, kind of nefarious like slip uh, into negating how awesome and holy and different God is. Right, so if his understanding is beyond measure, it's infinite. You can't measure it. It's beyond everything. Right? God doesn't change with respect to his decrees. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things yet have done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And so, if that's true, either God's lying or taking a really good guess, like, like I do all the time, is like, I can guarantee you, I said this is going to happen, and it's going to happen, and I'm just going to try my hardest to do what I can do in my control, and then it's going to happen. Or he's omniscient and unchanging and immutable, and what he said is going to stand from the beginning, and he's going to hold to his promises, right? There's no other way to think about it. <clears throat> and so... There's God's prescriptive will and God's decretive will, which is God said you shall not murder. That doesn't mean that no one's ever going to murder. He didn't say that before people murdered anyways. That's his, what he, that's his desires. That's what he requires. But his decretive will is whatever comes to pass. Right? Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That means that there's no outside force that could ever change what God has willed and decreed. And he cannot be moved or changed on that. So nor does he change his words, his promises, or his threats. Hebrews six seventeen and 18. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And so God's words never change because he said them. They're from him, right? Blessing and curse. And so does God change in anything? What about those times we see when God repented? Uh, so how would you guys, I'll just throw this out to the crowd, see if you guys are awake. How would you, knowing what we know now, 
How do you guys respond? Genesis 6 says God repented. He always intended to repent. Well, you know you're doing good as a, as a preacher if you are got halfway through and everybody's confused. Because <laughs> that means we're, going, we're coming to the end. So he might have always intended to repent. Okay. Functioning, testing, character of his people. Yeah. So in Gen- let's just put this in context. There's two times it says specifically that God repented. Um, Genesis 6 and 1 Samuel 15. So Genesis 6 was because of the violence on earth that was through man's sin and fall that he said he repented of creating man and he was going to wipe out creation, right? Save for uh, Noah, his wife, three children, and, and their wives. And then 1 Samuel 15, where he repents of installing Saul as king. And so... Uh, say that again, Roseanne. Then I'd have to look up some more. There's at least two specific ones. Right. You can also maybe view repentance as in um, Exodus 33, where Moses intercedes uh, for that. So how is God changing? Is, is he changing? He's changing his mind. He's changing. What's he changing? He's not changing his character. He's not changing his attributes. He's not even changing his will, right? He's changing in what he was going to do, not in that he changed his, his mind, but as in um, anthropomorphically is, uh, I told Bradbury uh, if he comes up here and tries to uh, start a fight, I'm going to throw fists. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then Bradbury comes up here and, uh, and, and, I, and something happens and I don't, maybe because he's so big. But, right, so I'm changing in something, God didn't just... Uh, uh, whimsically say, I'm going to repent. He's repenting towards what the calamity or something he was going to do, but it was always in relation to his creation that uh, I told you if this happens, this is going to happen. And so in Genesis 6, when it says he repented, it's he was creating humans for a purpose and they fell into sin and his purposes are still remaining and he's actually not changing at all what he decreed but how he's operating, right? Because of, of he's giving them their, their, uh, their reward for their wickedness. Same thing with Saul. He said he was going to give him a king Saul and, well, he knew he was going to uninstall Saul. He prophesied that long before that. Uh, and so he's... In an anthropomorphic way, he's changing, um, I don't want to use the word changing, but uh, he's uninstalling and he's doing something different. Does that make sense? His actions towards his creation is still in accordance with his will, still in accordance with his knowledge, still in accordance with his his essence um, and his independence and his simplicity, yet so that we understand that there is a change in creation going on. 
So what about when Jesus became flesh? God changed, right? No, we can't say that if we listen to the first half of the sermon. Uh, right? Uh, that's a, a, a big one out there in heretical circles, obviously, but we hold to the divine nature never being changed in the hypostatic union uh, that was preserved with human nature. Right? Uh, but let's get into a little bit more, a little bit more weeds. Uh, what about God changing and being contingent on our free will? Does God change in accordance to our free will? Does he, does he act or does he make up his mind or does he work in accordance with our free will? So that wouldn't be changing him. That would be acting in accordance with his will that he already prescribed, right? But is there a spot for God's will to be indifferent or his knowledge to be indifferent and then he can change towards one or the other? Well... Yeah. That it would change your, necessarily change your knowledge. Right. So you would have to diminish or change what we mean by omniscience, and we'll we'll get to that and sovereignty in subsequent Sunday schools or whatever. Uh, but we assert that even man's free choice, and we'll define that. So just stick with us. Don't, don't leave too early. Uh, it'll probably be a year from now or a couple months. Um, but that would have to change his independence and how he relates to his, his creation um, if he changes by our free will. Um, this one really isn't, isn't that great. Uh, but does God change when he created the, the world? Right? God's unchanging and he created an ever-changing world. Does that mean he changed? Well, no. That necessarily means that uh, when God, who is immutable, makes immutable things, he does not change, right? And so, so what? Who cares? Let's get to the practical, practical bits, right? That's what everyone's waiting for. Uh, and so we have to remember this is a negative aspect of God. Not as in that's a bad aspect, but there's no other way to think about it except in negative terms, except for we know what changes and we know that God is not that, right? Um, so therefore, change itself is not intrinsically good or bad. There is no, uh, there's no good there's no, because change happened, it's good, or because change happened, it's bad. Change happens. It's in relation to something. It's in relation to the immutable God, right? And so uh, change is bad in respect, well, let's just talk about the good aspect. Change is good as we are changed from glory to glory, right? If it becomes more submissive to, to God's prescriptive will, to his immutable character, that glorifies God in his kingdom and advances his kingdom, that's good change, right? We can all agree on that. You guys are like, yeah, cool. Uh, 
and change can be bad. Right? We can change from one degree of unrighteousness to another degree of unrighteousness. That change is bad. And so we have to be careful in Romans 1, 1.23 that says that we do not exchange the glory of God for mortal things. And that means, uh, in this context, of his immutability, that we would constantly start lifting up mutable, changeable things in exchange for God and his, his glory. So why is this important? Why is this practical? Uh, Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. <clears throat> of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Right? So in a world of change, we are called to cling to the one who is unchangeable, right? That should put us at uh, extreme comfort. We should find joy in that. But we have a problem that we want to continue to exchange that glory for a glory that changes, right? It, God's immutability and looking at his divine attributes and who he is through the scriptures should cause us to put our trust in God alone. And so we often put our trust in political movements or some kind of uh, uh, hierarchy or we put our trust in riches or we put our trust in pleasures or we put our trust in other things. These are all fleeting and passing away. Uh, I was just thinking about this uh, because I had to do something before uh, church which gave me time to think. Uh, does anybody remember Barack Obama's 2018, or 2008, I guess it would be, uh, campaign slogan? Change. Change. Joseph McCann was one of them. We had two. And change you can believe in, right? So if you ever remember seeing the bumper stickers with his face and it just said, change. And you can always tell two things by political statements. You can tell how stupid the politicians think you are, and you can tell how stupid you actually are. <laughs> uh, on the one side, uh, uh, being, you know, assuming that a population can be influenced by change. We just want change. Whatever it is, we don't want that. <laughs> what we got, we don't want it, and we want something different. Uh, that's not necessarily good change. That's not necessarily bad change. That's just change. But change we can believe in. Uh, does that mean it's good? No, it's just that means we believe in it. Is everything we believe good? No. And, uh, and so then you can also tell how the politicians feel about you is by how uh, advanced and intellectual and in-depth their slogans are. Uh, and how, how much you're uh, influenced by it. And so these things are fleeting. These things are passing away. Uh, we're not called to put our trust in, in anything else but the one who doesn't change, right? I'm going to skip down since we're running out of time uh, over um, God's immutability and his, his, his uh, constancy in... Um, and judging sin should cause us to fly away from sin. Uh, his comforts um, should cause us to run towards him, that if he said in his 
in Ephesians that he loved us and predestined us before the foundations of the world. That means he did it, and it's not changing. And it's not because, when, it's not when he created us, then he loved us. It's even before that. It's just in his character. And he's not ever going to change that. But God's immutability should drive us with a zeal towards consistency. So there's um, two ways you can go about that. And consistency is a mature attribute of Christians. Being uh, thick-headed and unwilling to change is not. And that's not, that's not consistency. Uh, so you have to kind of... Um, Look to the scriptures on how that maturity is described. John 1 8, I'm sorry, James 1 8 says that a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. And in Ephesians 4, it says we're tossed to and fro by ways of doctrine. Those are ever changing, unstable people who uh, change is bound to happen. How you react to it doesn't have to always be, right? And so. Um, we should be driven with a zeal towards consistency, towards maturity, right? We see in uh, uh, Matthew five forty-eight, be perfect as God is perfect. We'll go out and do that. He's not changed by things. Uh, you need to be changed. Be changed in the right direction. And so that mark of maturity is when there's a change coming in or there's an outside force or person or whatever that would shift you away from uh, identity in Christ, God's promises, faithfulness, um, God's law. The immature person is vacillating always, right? Always tossed two back and forth. But the mature man, the mature woman, uh, has a, a firm steadiness and constancy. And so we see that you know, when you find your identity in Christ, in the second person who is immutable, that that doesn't change, right? He never changes, so there's certain things I would never vacillate from or change from depending on who else came into my life or what happened or whether uh, it was hot or cold. But when you find your identity in, this is common for uh, humankind, right? If you are in any counseling circles or ever disciple people, we tend to find our identity in created beings and in our relationship there, right? And so how fleeting uh, are you? How fleeting is that person's opinion of you? How fleeting is uh, other people? So when we find our identity in that or in another person or in our relationship with what our parents think about us or what our spouse thinks about us, um, those shouldn't cause us uh, to vacillate. Sure, things hurt and there's troubling situations, but the mature person holds firm to their identity in Christ. And everything else around the world is going to change. How much money they have, their relationships, uh, who likes them and who doesn't. Um, but the mature person stays steady and constant. <clears throat> and so... Um, Let's go back since we do have four minutes uh, uh, for comfort. Um, and so the Lord in his, just think about like in, I love love, God's love. And so 
when he is decreed from the foundations, before the foundations of the world that he predestined us in love, um, this is where you find your identity in, in God and in Christ or not, is uh, like he will never leave us or forsake us. Well, that's an immutable quality. He said he's never going to change on the decision he made and he's going to do it, right? We often would maybe fall into that because God chose me or elected me or, or, uh, or loves me or shows grace to me that I no longer have to, you know, walk in, uh, walk in that grace, but he's just never going to change. And so he already did it here and he said it so I could do whatever the heck I want. And here we go on sinning, right? Sin is not too far behind that. Um, but that's not the, uh, the call of the scripture. That's not the call the Lord has for us is that we would find his identity and comfort in his love and his grace of those he sovereignly predestined and elected. He's going to see them through. He's never going to leave. He's never going to forsake them. He is always going to show grace towards his people. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means even the bad things. But that's our perspective. That's not God's perspective. And so he wants us to be unchangeable in that mindset, in that attitude, that all the things that God has decreed and come into my life because of his love, because of his generosity, uh, because of his grace, is good, and it's worthy of praise. And because I need changing, that I should be aware of what the Lord's bringing into my life so that I would be changed from glory to glory, not to unrighteousness to unrighteousness, right? And so every time there's an opportunity for change, which is uh, realistically every every minute, it's an opportunity to, to grow in your identity with Christ, to grow in the Lord, to change your character, for him to bring you into uh, what he's bringing you into. And so uh, with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we trust in you. you. You do not change. There's no appearance of changing. You do not uh, vacillate between your love and your wrath, uh, your... your um, uh, your justice or your mercy. You don't uh, vacillate between your people, Lord. And so bring us your word. Uh, cause us to be changing from glory to glory. Bring us to that through faith, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.